0: Doing okay? Awesome. little bit of a reprieve out there. Uh, my family has been traveling a lot and so um, we got back and they didn't realize that Oklahoma went from nice to HV double hockey sticks the whole world is on fire. I thought Texas was bad when I was in Austin, uh, but uh, even in Austin, the temperature wasn't as hot as it was here. And so came back, I'd made the joke that, why would you want to live in Texas? Everything is brown, everything is, is all dried out. And I crossed back over the Oklahoma line, and I was like, eh, I guess it wasn't just relegated to Texas. So. Um, but if you live north of Norman, it looks like there was this thing that I haven't seen in a while called rain that popped up yesterday afternoon. I didn't see any of it in Norman, unfortunately. Um, but I guess uh, the Lord decided to bless Oklahoma City uh, yesterday with a nice little thunder shower and cooled it off a little bit today. So, um, but it is good to be back. Uh, it is good to be back for multiple weeks in a row. Um, this week we are going to start a new series. It is one of the most uplifting series I have ever done, full of joy and hope and, and promises called The Three Enemies of Every Believer. Um, when i'm on the road a lot it is one of the the few times that for a prolonged period of time i get to read books listen to books you know really study um i've said this multiple times before a couple of years ago my wife and i decided that we would take uh, a sabbatical in the fall and uh that's normally we kind of get through the feast cycle we do the feast of the tabernacles in chandler and then we just whew, like The feast cycle is done for the year, and we relax. And during that time, we get to do a lot of Bible studies, a lot of of reading of different books. Um, But this year, we have been on the road so much for small time frames that I actually get to listen to books. And um, one of my favorite authors right now is a gentleman by the name of John Mark Comer. Um, He's got multiple different books. Um, One of them was really the the inspiration for one of the teachings I did before called uh, Hurry. And... His book, Live No Lies, has really, really impacted me to to really look at some areas of my own personal walk. and so if you guys want to go, I'm not going to go super in depth on, on everything that's in that book uh, today in our sermon series, but that book did really inspire me. I've now gone through that book three times uh, in the last 30 days, um, even so much so that I actually went out and bought a hard copy book, which is like the first time I've done that in a long time, just so I could highlight and underline and make notes and um, gave it to Cam, gave it to Emmett one night and Emmett went back and said, Hey, Hey dad, here's this book. My coach, my coach has read it three times. And so, um, I do encourage you, uh, it's a, it's a book. He's an author. I really, really enjoy. Um, he's doing some amazing things to take the Saturday church message of the Sabbath to the different denominations of Christianity. And so let's dive right in today. Um, conflict seems to be everywhere. I mean, again, I'm only 40. I have not lived that long on this earth. But in my mind, whether it's true or not, in my mind, when I was younger, things were more peaceful. I remember when a a Democrat was voted into office when I was younger, and not all the Republicans lost their mind. Now, they did when they impeached him, but even then, there was an awful lot of Republicans that if they would have been honest, they still liked the guy. Now we've gone through multiple presidents, and it seems like no matter what political party that president is from, the other side loses their mind. You've got grown men, you've got grown women who are acting like a toddler. Now, okay, okay. Just one area of our lives, there's, there's chaos. It's the political arena. But now we've got an entire country who is attempting to throw out branches of government. There, there shouldn't be rulings. There shouldn't be checks and balances. There's chaos everywhere. It's constant conflict. And... Yet we talk about the good old days, the days when the family would sit and they would eat together. Uh, I was talking with an individual this week who said, I actually remember that it did not matter what time my father got home from work, we were not eating until my father got home from work because he was the breadwinner, he was the one who made the money for the family, and if he wasn't going to eat, we weren't either. That's a personal testimony. Now, I didn't, I didn't experience that. We did family dinners, but I never experienced anything to that extreme where there was such a respect for the leadership of the household that you would wait to dine together. Now, if you can get your kids to sit still at a table at all, it's considered to be good. Only conservative families who are behind the times, have family dinners. Progressively, we're coming and going. I grabbed something to eat on the way home. And yet we wonder why households don't have peace. We wonder why we no longer have respect. And guess what, guys? It's not just the younger generation. Everybody is losing the moral fiber and the ethics by which this country we lived in. Now, I won't go so far as to say that this was a nation that was founded as a Christian nation, but you can say that there was Christian morals and ethics that were at the fiber of what they were trying, the forefathers were trying to instill in this nation. Now, no matter what happens, this nation will fall apart. It has to, because there is nothing in the Bible that I read, and if, if I'm wrong, I'm not above reproach, so please come tell me. There's nothing in the Bible that I read that tells me that Jesus is coming back to sit in the White House. And I can tell you that I am a pastor. I am not a politician. I am not here to be a pundit for the social justice movement or for laws or for whatever. My job is to shepherd you in a way that you will grow closer to God. God is not negativity, and God is not chaos. Faith and family have been replaced with a superior knowledge and shallow relationships. I stopped into a messianic youth camp to surprise them a week or so ago for a day. And the amount of hurt in professing believers that's going on in these lives is unlike anything you've ever seen. If you think that you are affected by the negativity and the shift that has happened in our culture under the premise of a superior knowledge, your children and your grandchildren have it way worse. And the church, unfortunately, likes to sweep things under the rug. They like to sweep things under the rug or they create small groups to support. it. Let's create a small group for the divorcees rather than putting all of our time and effort to keep them from getting a divorce. And while I do believe as a pastor, there are divorces that are justified. There's never a time where abuse should be tolerated in a marriage or in a home. But if you think that the chaos and the negativity that's existing in our world today stops at those doors or stops at your front door, you are living in a delusion life. Because today, we're gonna look at the devil. Next week, we're gonna look at our flesh. And the third week, we're gonna look at our culture. Why? Because right now, one of the growing trends in our world amongst young people is the fact that there is no God and there is no devil. What is actually a sinful nature? If you can blur the lines and you can destroy truth and you can create doubt, then nothing is off limits. There is hundreds of genders. There is multiple ways to have a healthy marriage. Multiple marriage people, open marriages, whatever. Nothing is defined in black and white anymore. And the devil is constantly attempting to bombard each and every one of you. One of my favorite quotes, I was talking about this a little bit with Ephraim when we were driving out to uh, the campground for Camp Yeshua this week. One of The greatest quotes. I wish that there was just billboards everywhere because, you know, a lot of our younger people today who are are in universities, who are in the world, they don't want to hear from the church. And you know what? I kind of understand. When the Southern Baptist Convention comes out and says that they knew that there was sexual abuse taking place inside of their churches for a long period of time, and yet they kept silent. Now, let's not throw the Baptists under the bus because I've been running a Messianic youth camp. I've had to call the state of Oklahoma. I've had to call the state of Minnesota. I've had to call the state Child Protective Services multiple times on kids who have come to camp who have shared that their parents and or their brothers and or their sisters and or somebody else, an aunt or uncle, has abused them or has beat them or has done things to them. And while the devil didn't do it the devil definitely tempted the person who then succumbed to the temptation but yet the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist now if you're my age or older you probably know what movie that's come from if you're younger i'm not going to tell you because it's not exactly a movie i want you to go watch But that line is the basis for how the devil is operating today. It's no longer that there is a God and there is an evil one. It's no longer that there is a right or is a wrong. We're literally attacking the very fiber of the fact that there is no such thing as right and wrong. There never was. Now, if you've seen the statistics, and we've talked about this a couple of times that I've preached before, the amount of people who are in their young 20s, late teens, who have left the church, who do not consider themselves to be a part of, of the religion of Christianity under whatever denomination you want. Those numbers are astronomical, let alone the ones who never profess to be a Christian to begin with. So if people are walking away from their faith in God what about people who never had it? What about people whose moral and ethical compass as they were growing up was never based upon a set of rights or wrongs? Let alone the amount of households that grow up without a mother or a father. An aunt, uncle, grandmother, they're just doing their best They're just doing their best. Whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, we are in a constant war against the devil, our flesh, and our culture. What the Bible normally refers to as the world. So over the next three weeks, we are going to look at these three opponents that we have to battle against. The devil being deceptive ideas and lies. The flesh being us wrestling with the desires of this world, and three, our culture, which is an antichrist society promoting our sinful nature. We'll look at how the Bible talks about the devil twist the truths of God to promote a culture that is constantly tempting our flesh, a culture where there are no morals, in a culture where it is becoming progressively hard to profess that Jesus is the Messiah. We live in a culture where we have quickly become the cognitive minority. Think of that. If the founding fathers were Christian, if this was a Christian nation, and that was how it was founded, We are considered as Christians the cognitive minority now in the United States of America. How far we've come in such a short period of time. How far we've come. In order for us to understand how we can overcome the devil and how the devil works, we have to go to the scriptures and we have to look at my favorite person who ever walked on the earth. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Why? Because if we're gonna face it, Jesus faced it. Why? Because just like any good leader, he came to set the example to show you how to overcome the same way he did. And by doing so, he empowered us with a hope that we could actually overcome. How many of you read the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? Most of you? Okay. One of my favorite stories. You know, I did a teaching on a couple years ago that Yeshua conquered, the, conquered death before the cross. And it was all going through Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase this for you right now. Mark chapter 1, it tells us about the fact that John, the baptizer, was baptizing of water out of the city and here comes Jesus of Nazareth Yeshua HaMashiach whatever you want to call him Jesus Christ Mashiach comes and gets baptized as soon as he's baptized out of the water the dove descends the father speaks and the spirit sends him first thing not to hop for a stack not to cast out demons not to take down the temple leadership, not to go to the prostitutes. No, he takes him straight to the World Series. There was no warm up for Jesus. He didn't get to go play rec baseball. He didn't get to play beginner level before he went to expert level on Madden. Jesus' first place that the Spirit drove him was to the desert where he was tempted by the devil. Hasatan, the evil one. Think about that for a second. We don't like to talk about from the pulpits anymore, and we don't really like to talk about in general the temptings, the trials, the tribulations that go on in our lives. We like to talk about positive. We just want to be positive all the time. The problem with that though is the only way you can understand the positive is that you have had to go through the negative. And they both exist in your life. You know, the last two weeks we've heard about Ephraim teaching about forgiveness. We only have to forgive something somebody if something negative happened. Last week we heard from Lauren about loving better. We only have to love better if you struggled. And it's time for us to be a little bit more open and honest with the fact that every person in this room struggles. Now, you don't have to admit it to me. This is not Catholicism. I don't have a box for you to come and, and, and me to say 45 Hail Marys and you're gone. Like, the, that doesn't exist here. But I know that you sin. I know that you struggle. Because I know that you are wired exactly the same way that I am and I do. And so a lot of times we want to walk in the shame of the temptation or the sin and we want to hide it and we want to push it down and we want to use code words for it and we want to do whatever rather than walking boldly in the fact that that exists and it exists in the hearts and the minds of every single person that you will ever meet. And just because the cross you're bearing today is different than the cross that somebody else is bearing tomorrow doesn't mean that you both can't lock arms and understand that the one who brought you together bore all of it on a cross. Good. Bore all of it on a cross. Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. In the wilderness... Jesus did not have a feast. In the wilderness, Jesus did not invite Hillsong for a concert. In the wilderness, Jesus did not create all of his lifelong relationships with all of his buddies. In the wilderness, he was not escaped surviving and enduring for the tribulation. In the wilderness, he had one mission. And that was to put the devil on notice. That was to put the devil on notice. Now the devil knew he was there. Devil wasn't stupid. The devil is not the little cartoon character that we remember from the days. They didn't, can't even put a devil on TV anymore because he doesn't exist, right? But the days where the cartoon character would have the little pretty angel and then the little like mischievous kid looking thing that was the devil. The devil knew Jesus was there. And the devil knew that sooner or later he was going to have to come face to face with the one who ultimately had the power to kill him. If you know that you're going up against an opponent whose sole mission is to end your reign of power, would you not give it everything you've got? Would you not apply the greatest of tactics that you knew for your survival? That's how I approach Mark's gospel. The arch nemesis of God got to meet God face to face for the final battle in the flesh. So when you look at Mark's gospel and you look at the temptations that the devil brought to Jesus in the wilderness, wouldn't that be a pretty good place to start with if the devil is going to attack you? These are the areas by which he's going to come the hardest. It only would get easier from there. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in culture, but it's important for us to enter into that mindset when we look at how the devil is doing stuff. Now, I will tell you, and there's some of you in this room who've done ministry with me for many years, or some of you who have been part of youth camps and events and that. I don't see dead people. I don't see demons crawling up walls or flying. That is not a spiritual gift I have. I am not a Mesecostal. I am not a Pentecostal. That was not my background. I was raised as a Baptist. And I thought I was really rebelling when I became a messianic and learned that it was okay to drink. When it comes to tongues, when it comes to the devil, when it comes to demonic possessions, when it comes to exorcisms, when it comes to all the stuff that you've seen in horror movies, I don't know anything about it other than what the scripture says. Now I can tell you, I've experienced some things in my life that I just can't quantify. Some of you in this room have been in the room when some of that's happened. Some of you heard my testimony about when those things happen. But this is not an area that I'm coming to you today and saying I am an expert because I go out like Indiana Jones and I demon hunt. I do not do that. That is not me. I am logical. Yet, Avarius Ponticus, who is a fourth century Christian monk, wrote a book called Talking Back a monastic handbook for combating demons. Now this guy was way more of a dedicated believer than I am because he decided that if this was good enough for Jesus to go out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, that he too should go out into the wilderness and face the devil. And so this collection of writings that he wrote and put into this book was from his time alone in the desert talking back to demons. In this book, he claimed that the battle against the demonic temptations was literally a fight with the Greek word, logismoi, that literally means your thoughts, your internal narratives, your belief structures and your thought patterns, so your mind and how we think. That the battle with demonic temptations was literally to take captive of this. Hmm. Interesting. So the battle with the Lord, or the battle with the devil and his army is a battle for our minds a battle for our attentions, a battle for our thoughts. The interesting thing about humans is humans have the ability to take an idea or a thought and make it reality. For example, God created all the ingredients to make cupcakes. They already existed. They were already in this world. Somebody didn't just poof and made these things happen. Yet humans, somewhere along the lines, decided, You know what? What would be amazing is a cupcake. And they brought flour and they brought sugar and they brought all these different things together until they perfected what is today a cupcake. I do not have cupcakes in the lobby. I don't need any cupcakes. We ate enough while we were on the road. Somebody got key lime pie. We can talk though. The thought to create something out of the mind into the physical realm. Now, granted, humans didn't just create flour. God already gave us the opportunity to have all of the things we need to create something in this world. But the thought that, hey, we're missing something today. What if I go and put my effort towards creating that? That's a human thought process. So. A lot of times, we think the devil is coming at us with with a murderer at our front door or with some sort of sexual addiction thought process. A lot of times, all the devil's got to get you to do is to question what is right and what is wrong. Did God say it or didn't God say it? Oh, wait, where have we heard that before? The age old story of the garden. You surely won't die. You surely won't die. You surely won't get pregnant. You surely won't get heavy. You surely won't get drunk. You surely won't get stoned. You surely won't hurt yourself. You surely won't. These are the lies that the devil tells you to get you to do stupid things that are not for your, your good or your prospering. Yet, we struggle with it every day. There's actually a system in place now. And don't walk out of here and say, man, that 40-year-old who has social media accounts, sure, threw social media under the bus. But there's an entire system online to make you think something is okay that's not okay. We've literally gotten to the point where we question Everything. Everything. Not only do we question everything, but we're now actually making stupider remarks than I've ever seen in my life. There is an entire group of people in the world, and I'm just going to go there, who are losing their mind over Roe versus Wade. Guess what? Roe versus Wade being overturned is not some sort of massive Christian win. It didn't end abortion. Abortion still exists. But yet, guess what? When you turn on the news and you turn on social media and you turn on these other things, a lot of Christians are like, oh, well, abortion's been overturned. Yay, they're not going to kill any more babies. I don't have to do anything anymore. Woohoo! Guess what? They weren't doing anything to begin with because they didn't really care. But it's a hot-button topic. I can be a Christian if I stand on this platform. The devil is at work in all areas of our life And we buy it, hook, line, and sinker. We buy it, hook, line, and sinker. Why? Because we buy the lies. Now, I wanna give you, I know this, this, this is not the most uplifting teaching, I'm sorry. I come back, you got Lauren last week. I gave you uplifting before I came back. Like, she's always encouraging, always positive in her message, always bring that. And then I come back and it's like, hate to be the bearer of bad news, welcome back. We're not the only people who have struggled with this. This is not something that's new. There is ways to overcome this. And Jesus addressed some of this in John chapter 8. The believers that Jesus was talking to in John chapter 8, just to put a little bit of context in place here for you, were Jews who believed in Jesus. It says right there in John chapter 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, Okay, not everybody in this room is Jews, but you do all believe in Jesus, right? So that means you're a part of the Commonwealth of Israel, whether you like it or not, you are. Like, you're in. So you would be very similar to these people. You'd be very similar. So he says to them in John chapter 8 so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know truth, and the truth will set you free. Hmm. I don't think these people knew that they they weren't set free. So again, I think, hey, fast forward to the 21st century. There's some people in this room, I'm guessing right now, who don't know they're enslaved. Or there's some people in this room who are enslaved, they know they're enslaved, and they don't know how to get out. So again, just another way for us to, we're kind of we're just like the people that Jesus was talking to at this point in time. He proceeds to say, they answered him, or let's just let's do this today, I like role playing. We answered him and said, we are the offspring of Abraham. Mm, where have I heard that one before? And we have been enslaved by no one. How is it that you say you will become free? Has anybody else met other believers? Father Abraham, we're from Abraham. We're from Abraham, we're from Abraham. This is a calling card for a lot of people who share our faith and share the practices of our faith in Christianity. We were enslaved to no one. Now the irony of that, because we are messianic believers who promote the feasts and the festivals of the Lord. There's an entire feast of the Lord annually where we remember that we were slaves. So we are offspring of Abraham and never been enslaved to anyone. Interesting. Now, if Jesus is talking to Jews in the first century who believed in him, is it logical that they kept the Passover? So the Jews at that time also were keeping the annual feast to remember, literally one of the the major elements of that feast is to remember that God brought you out. He delivered you. And he brought you to himself as a people. Continuing in 34, Jesus answered them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin the slave does not remain in the house forever the son remains forever so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed oh man that one was way misquoted all of my childhood if the son sets you free you're free indeed Well, no, 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 no. What is the son setting you free so that you can be free indeed of that if you are practicing sin, then you are a slave to your sin? So you are a slave who needs to be set free. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because your words, my words, find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus got testy. He was like, I am not having any of this nonsense from you. He said that if you are practicing sin, you are a slave to sin, and yet he had come, the Son of God, to set you free from that. Yet he calls them out that they seek to kill him because his words found no place inside of them. Then he goes on to just word slap them a little bit more. Your heritage is great, fantastic. I speak of what I have seen with my Father. That implies that Jesus has seen the Father and seen the Father do, seen the Father execute, and then he slaps them with words and says, and you do what you have heard from your Father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I've heard from God. Now he switches there. I don't know why. I ask him one day if I remember. At that point in time, I'm just going to be in awe like, what's up, Jesus? I love you. The thing you did, yeah, that was killer. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. I can get a little testy times. But if Jesus walked through that room and I started to talk to him like this, somebody punch me. Stop me. Kick me. Knock me out. I'll thank you later. If I'm getting testy with the God of all creation here, if I'm trying to go toe to toe, and I promise you because I know some of the people in our corner of Christianity, there will be many who will walk through that door when Jesus comes through that door. And they'll say, excuse me, you're not doing it right. Jesus was not having any of it. He was not having any of it. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Now, I have no idea. The Chosen hasn't shown me how this went down. But I am guessing that in this testy exchange that Jesus was giving it right back. If God were your father, you would love me, for I under, you would understand what I say. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word that you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Now, most likely, that's not how it happened, but that's how I like to think of it. He called them sons of a devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. For one of you convicts me. Sorry, just completely. This is why I should have been reading out of my Bible. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. When we want to balk and we want to debate and we want to fight over what God means in Scripture when we want to be in a position where we're constantly dividing our faith family, whether that's your immediate family, that's your church, that's the small groups you're in, whatever it is. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The reason why God is not telling you something is because you can't bear to hear it. It's not because he's not talking to you. God's not sitting up there when you're saying, God, can you please show me wisdom? God, can you please show me understanding? He's like, not today. I'm busy. I'll get to you on Thursday. I sent you an Apple calendar invite. No. He is a father. He is a lover. He is not the murderer. He is not the destroyer. That is the adversary who is the opposite of God. It is because we cannot bear what it is he's telling us. John chapter eight, for all the people in this room, should be a real wake up call. Because there's a lot of people who've been in in the church a long time. We profess to know a lot about the scripture. We read the scripture a lot. We understand the context. We understand the, the little Hebrew side of things. We understand all these nuances. We know the jots and the tittles. These guys did too. These guys actually spoke real Hebrew, not Hebrewish. This was their culture. Sometimes we think back and we want to minimize the Jews and we want to minimize what of God they knew. These are people who have devoted their life to God. All the things that we want to learn from, they lived. We sit down and we talk about Donald Trump not getting reelected. They sat down and talked about the time that they went through the Red Sea. It's not the same. And then the stories get told and it gets told and it gets told and we talk about how awesome it was to have a joint Passover with with Timber Creek this year. But like they were like, I remember the Passover. Your great, 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 great grandma told me on that night that this happened. They were there. They were there. They weren't stupid. They weren't ignorant. They just didn't recognize that they had fallen into the trappings of this world. Guess what? If we keep acting like the devil and there isn't evil around us, we're gonna end up in the same exact spot if we aren't already. Because Jesus himself says he's a murderer He's been a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar, a liar from the beginning. When he lies, he's literally just doing what is natural to him. Can you imagine if God were to say that about us? When Chris speaks, he lies because that's his character. That's, that's some harsh punishment right there, guys. That's some harsh punishment. The Greek word that was used there in John chapter 8 means he's a slanderer or an accuser. But yet all the time we accuse people. I got five kids. There is not 20 minutes that doesn't go by that somebody's not accusing somebody of taking a nacho from them or stealing an iPad from them or talking rudely to them or something. They're accusing each other all the time. And guess what? I, I tried to count how many times I accused people this week and I was going out of my way to not make slanderous or accusatory statements. And you should shoot me! I tried. I tried my hardest and I failed miserably. And the only thing I could do was go back to God and say, God, I pray that you bless that person more so than ever before for the fact that I couldn't keep my mouth shut. My wife will tell you, I sat in a lot of silence this week, and I still failed miserably. But Jesus goes on, and the scripture goes on to tell us that the devil is many titles. The Satan the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon, the ancient serpent, and the prince of this world. John chapter 12, 31, John chapter 14, 30, Ephesians 2, 2, John 16, 11, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. All of these scriptures have titles for the devil. And again, I don't know exactly why they chose to do it this way. But some scholars believe that the reason why there isn't a specific name for the devil and that Jesus just uses titles or adjectives is because he's basically sliding the devil. Like, you don't even have a name, bro. I'm not even going to speak your name. Like, that's how insignificant to me you are. Prince of this world. That's an interesting title. At that time, remember Rome, first century. Prince was the highest level military. The devil is considered to be the highest level military person in this world. The devil is the prince of this world, as Jesus calls him, which means he's the highest ranking individual in this world. Yet the devil was created by God, he's not equal to God a lot of times we we think of the devil in some sort of other plane like he's out there in this thing he has a beginning and let me tell you he has an end he sat on god's divine council he rebelled against his created goal he was created for a goal to help spiritually test people and draw them closer to god yet like so many people do he rebelled against the goal The goal was to test, and he decided to start to tempt. He decided that his delegated authority by Yahweh Elohim, the God of all creation, that that delegated authority wasn't good enough. Hmm. Sound familiar? We like to actually guise it in the corporate setting, where ultimately the harder you work, the more power and authority you get to ultimately you're the big boss baby in charge or super mega fat CEO boss baby and you get to call all the shots the problem is is that no matter how high no matter how far no matter how much authority you gain in this world none of it is yours it was all delegated by god because god created authority that's just like looking at a, co- a corporate structure. Steve Jobs created Apple. Apple is Steve Jobs until Steve Jobs decides to make it somebody else's. Now, like human beings, we die. And when we die, it automatically becomes somebody. It's our wife's, it's a trust, it's a CEO, it's Tim Cook's, whatever. God isn't dying. He sent his son to take on flesh to die for us. And the Father continue to run the show. This is a problem, guys. When you rebel against the authority of God, you are rebelling against God. Now let me say that in a way so you don't go, oh, he's going to pass the tithe box and he's going to make us sign some sort of card to join the church and sign away our 401ks and the authority to our house. No, As quickly as God delegated the authority for me to be able to be the senior pastor of this church, he can take it away. And when you screw with God's delegated authority, you end up like the devil on a path to death because ultimately from the day that Jesus died, rose again, the devil's days have been numbered. Here we are 20 centuries after. Now let me ask you a question. If you have not done everything you wanna do in your life, you want to go to the Grand Canyon. You, you want to go put your feet in the water of the ocean and just sit there and listen to the waves. And you were given a terminal illness diagnosis today. You would have two choices. Be defeated and lay down. I've done everything I want to do. He named me out and I, here I am, take me, I'm good. I don't care if I ever get out of this bed. Or you would move heaven and hell to go do the things on your bucket list. There's only one thing on the devil's bucket list, and that's to take as many people down with him. So 20 years ago, God went into the wilderness and put the devil on notice. 20 centuries, I said 20 years, sorry, 20 centuries ago, we all make mistakes. Me more than some. Math is not my thing. that's why I'm saying. Twenty centuries ago, the devil was put on notice by Yeshua Hamashiach. So over the last 20 centuries, do you think he's gotten more patient? Do you think he's gotten more kind? Maybe he has more peace. Maybe he's more gentle. Or maybe he understands that literally he is fastly approaching his doomsday. If he knows he's approaching his doomsday, the one that Jesus called a murderer, a liar, a tempter, wouldn't he only increase the frequency and the tenacity. See, the devil's a smart man. The devil started out just with the devil in a small group of homies. They created an entire infrastructure. Used to be propaganda. I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the culture. The Russians spent an unbelievable amount of money to pump disinformation into our society. And that was not during Donald Trump's election. It was long before it. Why? Because they knew if they could create a blurred line between what is truth and reality and what is not, people would turn against each other. Oh, where have we heard that? A house divided shall not stand. Let me put the Messianic movement on notice. A house divided does not stand. Disinformation is not the truth that God spoke of. If we continue down a path where we propagate that nonsense, we will end up not with our father Abraham, not with God our father, not with Jesus Christ our Messiah. We will end up with our father the devil because the truth will not be in us. God will expose lies because god is going to kill the devil he will pay for what he's doing in the meantime don't allow him to take you with him the thief which is another name for the devil in john chapter 10 comes only to kill and destroy i came that you may have life and have it abundantly So this is why we see today that there is, we're not even talking about atheists or agnostics anymore. We're just talking about the the sure fact that we have created a whole other level of stupidity. It used to be that there isn't a God. Now there's no God, there's no devil, there is no superpower. Guess what? Even the demons know that there's a God. Even the opposite side who wants the death of Jesus, who wants the death of you, and wants the death of the kingdom of God, knows that God exists. So now the devil has perpetrated such a lie and such a twisting of our culture that we don't even believe that there's a God or a devil. You're the God. Guess what? That mentality is to kill you and destroy you says in John chapter 10, you are not a god. You are a servant. And that's what you were created for. The United States of America has created us all to think that we are gods and somehow we're more important than we aren't. We were created for the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of the father of the devil. He's a murderer. He wants to kill you, he wants to destroy you. He wants you to believe, Kayla, he wants you to believe that you are important. God knows you're important. He doesn't need to make you feel that way. The devil needs to make you know that he already thinks you're important. From the moment you took your first breath, he saw you as beautiful. Nicole, all of you, this world wants you to believe that you're not important. This world wants you to believe that he doesn't exist. You are the most important people to him because you are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus in the flesh right now because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you are what can defeat the devil. Because that's where the truth comes from. The countdown clock was set on the devil the day that Jesus walked out of that tomb. Now I wanna make sure you understand something, not everything that happens to you is the devil. See the shirt's not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. The devil can only tempt you. When you sin, It was not the devil it was you because guess what everybody in this room everybody who watches online the devil is tempting all of us it's whether or not we have succumbed to that temptation and that's on us and we must take responsibility for that sin is sin How do we overcome the devil? Same way that Jesus did. In the wilderness, God fasted, he prayed, and he talked back to the devil. Now, interestingly enough, the devil knows the words of God, but it didn't stop Jesus from repeating them back to him. How many of us fast? How many of us have dedicated times of prayer these are all crucial in your life i didn't always think so i always thought sometimes they were just obstacles hard but i try to have times of fasting every single week i try to have times of prayer daily sometimes I i used to go where i'd only pray about two three times a week i had a youth Sit with me at the youth camp and say, I need you to pray for me. I said, sure, what can I pray for you for, son? And he goes, every time I try to talk to the Lord, I feel like I'm not doing it right. And I just looked at him and I said, you need to tell the devil to get out of your head. God doesn't have a right way to talk to him. And he looked at me and he stepped back. And I was like, God is not telling you that you are, you are not adequately coming before him and speaking to him. God is not up there saying, my friend, your words are not eloquent enough. Come back with better ones. That's not God. That's the devil. And it may not be the devil. It may be a demonic force. It may be whatever. But if you want to see the power of God move the same way that it moved during the time of Jesus, we got to start eradicating the nonsense that exists and in hidden inside the churches. And I'm not talking about one place or the other. We've come to a place where we, we excuse abuse. Not here. If, if I ever find out that somebody in this church is abusing their spouse verbally, mentally, physically, if you don't repent and we don't go through a process, I'm counseling them how to divorce you. I'm not counseling somebody to stay in abuse. Because God would not be okay with that. This is not a place for you to come and hide your sin. This is a place for you to come and bring your sin and lay it down before the congregation, all of us, so that we can heal it, we can repent, and we can be set free. That's real freedom. That's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 8. The devil wants to enslave you to sin. Jesus already gave his life so you can be set free. But until you accept that and walk in that, you are allowing the devil to be in a place of authority in your life. Why? Because I'm ashamed. Adam wasn't ashamed when he met God naked in the garden. It wasn't until after he came into cooperation with the devil. There is nothing you can do in this life. There is no sin you can commit that you cannot fall on your face, repent, and be restored to God. The whole concept that the devil wants you to feel like somehow you have sinned and transgressed against God, and the longer it goes and the more time it goes that there's not forgiveness and repentance, that somehow the void between you and God is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where uh, I don't remember why I walked away from God. I don't remember why I wasn't there. I don't even remember what it was. If there's a void between you, it's because you walked away, not because he did. He's still right there. And guess what? He's still looking at you. The devil wants you to think that somehow you transgressed the ways of God and God has turned his back on you. No, the devil's turned his back on you because ultimately he wants you to die just because he knows he's going to die. Jesus is standing here. He's literally like standing here right here and he's like, I remember when you stumbled. I was there. I am still here. I'm sorry that that sounds like some sort of, you know, Sunday church laid at the feet of the altar, but it's the truth. Jesus didn't turn his back on you. You have to die daily, guys. You want to combat the devil? You have to die daily. How many of you talk back to the devil? How many of you, when those thoughts come in your mind, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon, when the devil tells you you're not worthy, when the devil tells you Jesus doesn't want to hear your prayers, when the devil tells you that you were never created for this, or you can't do this, or your spouse doesn't love you, or that woman it would love you better, or whatever the sin is that the devil's trying to tempt you with. How many of you talk back? How many of you talk back and say, you need to get the heck out of here? You're a liar. I've had it happen. The people in the car parked next to me at the traffic light probably think I'm a schizophrenic. Verbally out loud, it's like, you need to get out of my car now. We live in a culture, guys, We live in a time where it is okay for me to stand up at the pulpit and make fun of how much I ate or how big my waist is getting, whatever. But we would never accept somebody to get up here and joke about a sexual sin. We would never accept somebody to come up here and joke about another addiction. Addictions are addictions. Sin is sin. Let's call it what it is. Let's get back to the ways of God. Let's stop allowing the devil to have a place at the pulpits inside churches. It has a place inside the pulpits of our home that allow the devil to have a pulpit in our mind. Jesus fasted, he prayed, and he refused to take the offers and the bait of the Satan. First Corinthians 15 31. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. That I die every day. Matthew 10, 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans eight thirteen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. I've said this before, I think this is crucial for every person to understand how revolutionary it was that God would take on flesh and bone and come to this earth. How revolutionary. And in no way do I want to diminish Jesus, my Messiah, because he is high and lifted up and he is everything. He is everything. But Jesus himself had said that it is for your good that I will leave and the Spirit of God the Helper will come. Can you imagine the devil going into the wilderness to take on Jesus mano a mano and then all of a sudden... Jesus' force multiplies himself like something out of the matrix. Guess what? There is no secret right now that the army of God, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God in this earth is shrinking. These vessels are refusing to work for the kingdom of God. They're refusing to be the temple by which God could dwell his Holy Spirit. It's alarming. And yet somehow, some way, we think some orange man in the White House will be the salvation. Somehow, some way, we think that if we went to the polls and put people, and again, I'm not telling you not to vote. The problem is, is that the temple of the Lord, which is every human being on this earth right now, is refusing to allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in that temple and manifest itself out for the kingdom of God to be brought to this earth. Let me break it down to you. We're allowing the devil to win. Now here's the good thing, because I don't want you to, to leave and say like, oh man, this guy's like giving the devil so much, so much power, so much authority, No, 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 no. The reason why the devil has the power and the authority of this world is because God gave it to him, plain and simple. God's the one who called him the prince of the world. The only reason why the devil is running amok today is because we're not doing our job. God gave us the method. I'm gonna give you some hope. It doesn't matter if we fight the battle or not. God is going to keep his namesake perfect. And he always has. God didn't send Jesus to this world so that just when we as human beings decided to to transgress him in his kingdom, that somehow he was going to say, Oh, shucks. The devil will live on forever. The devil's going to, The devil's going to die. He's going to be bound. God is going to keep his word. The question today is, do you know people, maybe you're one of them who currently is being bound by the devil, who the devil has power over you, who you've given them influence. And it's not like the exorcism movie where we're all going to walk up the wall and stuff like that. No. If we're engaged in slander, if we're engaged in accusation, if we're engaged in lies, if we're engaged in these types of things, then the words of Jesus and the Spirit of God are not fully taking over this vessel, and we are not fully working the way that we're supposed to. The devil's sole goal is to pervert the truth of God's Word. To get you to question God's authenticity and love for you. If you allow Him to win in your life, you will be a slave to your sinful nature. God tells us, and the apprentices in the first century of Jesus tell us how to overcome this we must die daily. This isn't a one and done, guys. This isn't a going in and having a band put around our sinful nature and all of a sudden half of our sin is cut out. If you are struggling in an area of your life and you believe that the devil is tempting you and you have not had victory or deliverance from that, first and foremost, fast. Set aside a time to fast. During that fast, Ask God to step in and ask God very directly what he wants from you, what his expectation of you in this war is. I've heard the Lord say sometimes just shut up and sit still dummy. I didn't say dummy. That's my regurgitation of it. And there's other times where God has given me very direct things that I need to go do. It's always more fun when I don't have to do anything and God just goes and fights the battle for me. But I can tell you that's not always the case. That's not always how that happens. And then talk back to the devil. Do not allow those thoughts to enter your mind. Do not allow those thoughts that somehow, if I do this, I'll be okay. If I don't do this, I won't be okay. Talk back to the devil. The devil tells you you're not worth it today, tell him to shut up and get out. If you're my children, preface the fact that you're talking to the devil when you say shut up, please. Talk back to the devil. And allow God to use his Holy Spirit to empower you in ways you've never seen before. I'm still a newbie at this. I won't sit here and act like I'm, I'm Professor Emeritus with all the answers. I'm still walking this out, but I can tell you it's transformed my life, and it continues to transform my life. God reveals things to me in a way right now in this season that I haven't seen before. And it's been revolutionary for me in my walk and my relationship with him. I don't even call it a walk anymore. It's more, of like, it's more of like this intimacy of this relationship that's there. And I know everybody always likes to make fun of how relationship not about religion, it's about relationship. I mean, yes and no. God is your father if you allow him to be your father. But If you don't allow his words to penetrate you in your life, to change in how you walk in life with him, God says that our father is the devil. There's no gray area there, it's black or white. This week, I pray that when those things come up in your life, you will talk back. You will fast. You will pray. And God will move mightily in your life. If you don't have a dedicated time of prayer, specify one. If you don't have a dedicated time to be in quiet with the Lord, specify one this week. Start little, little wins. And most importantly, when those thoughts come in your head this week, you talk back. You don't lay down. Ephraim, if you'll come.